Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Welcome, welcome all back to another episode of Millennial Movie Club. I'm Jess Apatos, and for my 10th birthday, I got my first boombox, and the first CD I ever owned that came with it was the Grease soundtrack. No regrets. Wow. That makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That's so on brand for me. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like right on brand. You should be on brand, right? You're yeah. consistent. Why not? Uh, and I'm Dan Levine. And in sixth grade, I won the Spanish Scholar Award. And it was like totally arbitrary. I didn't barely knew Spanish at all. You're not a Spanish scholar either. I think I'm on like day 155 of uh, Duolingo, but I used a couple of streak freezes. I think like four or five. Oh, like okay. Cheating. That's like yeah. somebody in AA being like, I did some Coke. I just didn't tell anyone. Right. That's exactly what happened. I, <laughs> but I like purchased the ability to say that I have 155 days or whatever. Worth it, I guess. I mean, yeah, no. I'm currently on day nine of French. Nice. Yeah. Je parle français. A petit peu. Si, si, si. Spanish scholar. You are just almost fluent in Spanish and almost famous is the movie we're talking oh, about there today. We go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had not watched this movie in so long and man, it got me in my fucking feels. For real. I mean, I've watched this movie so many times and when I was watching it for the podcast, I was seriously thinking like, I don't know if I could do this. Me too. It's like too close to the chest for me. Like I have no critical ability to look at this movie and like I can't even hear anything critical about this movie. <laughs> like it's for some reason, it's so important to me. Shall we set the scene? Absolutely. The description of this movie reads set in 1973 almost famous chronicles the funny and often poignant coming of age of 15 year old william an unabashed music fan who is inspired by the seminal bands of the time when his love of music lands him an assignment from rolling stone magazine to interview the up-and-coming band stillwater fronted by lead guitar russell hammond and lead singer jeff Beebe, william embarks on an eye-opening journey with the band's tour despite the objections of his protective mother well, that's like 2% of the film. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, kind of like some unnecessary specifics in there. I would rewrite, but... Unnecessary. You left out like the seminal character of this whole movie, but... Yeah, really? I am tasked with going through the cast and crew. Just realized, didn't look up anything about the crew. Whatever. Because the <laughs> I was so distracted by the cast of this movie. It was just like so epic. There's so many people in it. I was overwhelmed and... So I hope you know about the crew. Well, I mean, I know Cameron Crowe. So yeah. that's all. I mean, writer and director, you know, will be fine. Boom. Done. Written and directed by Cameron Crowe. <laughs> nice. Okay. Knocked it out. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the thing to know about this movie is that it's based on Cameron Crowe's life when he was a young Rolling Stone reporter. So he got to travel around with a lot of different music groups um, a lot of the the scenes are like directly based on some experiences he had, and we can call them out as they come up in the recap. But like, it's such a passion project for him. He's just writing about his own life. Like William is him. He sent it around town to see who would respond. And Steven Spielberg read like his 172 page script. It was massive and called Cameron Crowe and just said, direct every word. And he filmed the entire script. So 
you can imagine there's a massive cult following for this movie and they released something called, you know, the bootleg cut, which is so much longer. There's so much extra shit, all different like background information about the band Stillwater. He has like a storied directing career, but I think this was his big one. Man, you can tell how much heart went into the making of this film too. For sure. For sure. I love that so much. Well, young William, what happened to that kid? What happened to that kid? His real name is Patrick Fugit. He's had some television roles. He obviously started in childhood on TV shows like Touched by an Angel. He's later been in-house. He's done some occasional film work, most noticeably the movie Gone Girl. And then followed up by Mom Elaine, played by Frances McDormand, fucking powerhouse actress. She's been nominated for an Academy Award six times and won Oscars for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Fargo, and North Country. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, we're so lucky to have her. Oh my God. She's so fucking good in this too. Oof. So many different colors in that character. Yeah. Sister Anita is played, not to be confused with a nun, she's just his sister, named Anita, <laughs> played by a young Zoe de Chanel who is fully rocking eyebrows of the late 90s, early 2000s, severely overplucked. We love her anyway. We know her from Elf, 500 Days of Summer, New Girl, and of course, just being so darn quirky. Yeah. And she's a musician. That's right. She, she and, and him. him. She and him. Yeah. Starting with the band, we've got Russell, lead guitarist of Stillwater, played uh, by just a heartbreakingly beautiful Billy Crudup. His looks are becoming a problem. His looks have been always been a problem for me, at least. (laughs) Holy moly. Like the second I saw his face in this film, my heart broke just like immediately, (laughs) immediately. He's got such a good look, too. He's got that sick mustache. (sighs) Mama Uh, loves a mustache. We know him from Big Fish, Watchmen, Spotlight, Jackie. One of the biggest things people have written about him is like he could have been like more of an A-list star, but he really only wanted to take on these like more intense, like super well-written roles. He's done a ton of theater in Broadway. I actually saw him on Broadway in a production of Waiting for Godot alongside Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Talk about an epic cast yeah yeah that's a good crew Mm -hmm. i feel like everyone did such a good job in this movie and this was the first time i've ever been like i don't know if billy crudup did such a great job like not that he didn't do a good job but i think someone could have done it maybe a little bit better not been as good looking and handsome and dreamy but i think russell should be a little more dangerous and less simple but let's get into it when we yeah that's a hot take and i honestly wasn't paying attention to that (laughs) <laughs> when I watched it, look because he's so fucking gorgeous. I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, how did I feel about that? It's impossible to tell. Didn't even stop to think, truly, about his performance. Couldn't get past the smoke screen, so honestly, his handsomeness. Yeah, <laughs> I was too busy changing my undies after his <laughs> performance. Yeah, fever dog. It's just like whoa, <laughs> fever dog. You know, rock classic, fever dog. Of course, Stillwater the band, fronted by Jeff Beebe, played by Jason Lee who started originally as a professional skateboarder before he became an actor. We know him from Mallrats and a thousand other, in my opinion, bad Kevin Smith movies. Yeah. And (laughs) Enemy of the State. And also he starred in a series called My Name is Earl for some time. And Vanilla Sky. I always think of him in Vanilla Sky. That as well. That as well. The other two band members. Who cares? Who cares? (laughs) We'll move on to the Band-Aids. So we have Anna Paquin 
who has just been in so fucking much since she was a child. She's been everywhere, but of course we know her from X-Men, True Blood. It's pretty epic shit. She's adorable in this. We have Feruza Balk, who we know from The Craft, The Waterboy, Return to Oz, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen, but it's fucking terrifying. And then, of course... The delicious Penny Lane, played by Kate Hudson. I mean, clearly, obviously, this was like her breakout role. How do you not fall in love with her in this movie? I have no idea because I did, and everyone I knew did as well. It's yeah. impossible. It's it is the most manic pixie girl role. It's a quintessential oh, yeah. manic pixie girl role. One thousand percent charming and beautiful, She's beautiful and effervescent and tragic and. It's great. All of the things. She's the daughter of Goldie Hawn. Oh, fuck. I always forget about that. Oh, yeah. Raised by Kurt Russell. We know her from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, You, Me, and Dupree, Bride Wars. She was on a few episodes of Glee. But I would say this is probably like the shining star. I mean, she will just always be Penny Lane. I think so. For better. Not even for better, for worse. I think that's a good thing. She likes it. I think she embraces it. So. I think so. And she honestly, I feel like is this is probably not far off from how she kind of is in real life. Well, that's always like a good sign of someone taking on a role. It's like, well, they must be like that in real life because I can't think of them in any other way, you know. (laughs) I could be completely projecting. But that's the vibe I get from her. Just kind of like flirty and like I live life on my terms and I have an athletic line. So (laughs) and then lest we forget the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, who played editor at Cream Magazine, Lester Bangs, who was a real person. We Mm -hmm. know him from Capote, The Big Lebowski, Doubt, Moneyball. He unfortunately overdosed at the age of 46, but he was a legend in his time. He is absolutely one of my favorite actors ever. I love him as Lester Bangs. He's so good. And they had a couple other different people that were supposed to be, or auditioned for Lester Bangs. John Favreau and Jack Black, which I I guess I could see it. It's just like, to me, uh, there's only one. There's just such a level of like groundedness to him where it's like you do get the sort of like the I'm not cool thing but he is also kind of like undoubtedly cool yeah of course (laughs) yeah but he's cool in the way that like not cool people think is cool too which is great it's just like a perfectly written character I I just think he crushed that role I love every line of Lester Bangs it's so good he has so many good ones and he is like while he's not a huge character he's woven throughout the narrative to like sort of drop in Mm -hmm. these moments of wisdom and yeah the kind of thing that you'd feel like probably just doesn't exist anymore though you know somebody just takes an interest in you and it's like I'm gonna take you under my wing teach you about life that's right we we missed it we're here for the last gasp of it just like he says about <laughs> just rock and like roll. he says <laughs> rock and roll and mentorship both dead right <laughs> same there's too many like people who are going to be in different roles but all of them all of them okay claire deans <laughs> for penny lane kate hudson was supposed to be uh william's sister at first and then they recast oh, her oh thank god oh my god what a waste yeah and i think that zoe deschanel does a good job too she's great She's great. Um, she's got those big, gigantic blue eyes and... Gigantic eyeballs. Yeah, huge eyeballs. Um, Tony Collette turned down the role of Penny Lane, which doesn't make any sense to me that how Tony Collette... I love Tony Collette, but that doesn't make any sense. She's turned down a lot. She's very selective, but also like probably for the right reasons. I mean, I can't see it. But like uh, then again, Brad Pitt was supposed to play Russell Hammond, and he read the script, and he was just like, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. And then she, <laughs> he didn't do it. <laughs> well... I'm glad because I feel like this would just would not be what it is if fucking Brad Pitt was the. It just would. It's it would just feel on the too. Nose. Yeah, too commercially. Too you know. I'm really glad he didn't get it. Me too. 
Oh, oh, we forgot one more person. We've got Jimmy Fallon as the... Uh, oh, doy. Oy, oy, oy. Jimmy Fallon sneaks in there <laughs> midway snake. through the film. And he's in disguise. <laughs> fully. Fully disguised by hair pieces on his yeah. face and mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I fucking love that. Uh, good call. Good call. Good save, Daniel. Oh, yeah. We would have got to it eventually. Probably just yeah. jump in the... Jump Anybody in the else we should know about that was potentially in the room? Yeah, just a couple more people. Kirsten Dunst almost got Penny Lane. Uma Thurman turned it down. Christina Ricci came close to winning the role. And then the last one I have is Elijah Wood screen tested for the role of William, which I think could oh, have worked. I could have yeah. seen that. He would look more closely related to Zoe Deschanel. Oh, that's true. Big, gigantic eyeballs. Yeah, uh, of their gigantic eyeball species race kind of, <laughs> of people. It was exactly what it should have been. Yeah, the casting was perfect. Everybody was on brand and on vibe and not distracting that they were in the part. Agreed. Everyone played a supporting role, even the people that you think are supposed to be like William doesn't overstep into like stardom i mean he's really support he's supporting penny it's yeah. true yeah it's true it is it's an ensemble film and it really does feel that way yeah There's i so mean i i got the feeling this time around that it's just a bunch of small vignettes that make up like a really beautiful story yeah. it's just these small tiny little stories i guess that's a lot of movies but for this one in particular, like uh, there's just these small little parts that like kind of add up to this really great feeling about what it was like yeah. in 1972, I suppose. You know what we haven't done in a while? What's that? Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is your weekly spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Almost Famous, maybe you weren't around for Stillwater's first uh, world tour, in which case you should just go watch the movie, <laughs> go put on a Stillwater record and uh, come back and we'll be here. Yeah, yeah. Really do some digging on Stillwater. Let us know what you find. One of the best. Yeah. So many good documentaries on Stillwater. <laughs> really good stuff. <laughs> do you think there is supposed to be Credence Clearwater Revival? So I've got a lot about Stillwater. Yay! All the songs are written by Peter Frampton, along with Cameron Crowe and Cameron Crowe's ex-wife, Nancy Wilson, who was in Heart. It's supposed to be kind of like Bad Company, Allman Brothers, Zeppelin, but it's like specific melodies from the time that they, they took. I mean, right. the sound of them is a very specific band, and then certain stories are other specific bands because of Cameron Crowe traveling with them. Like there's a scene when William gets pulled into the first Get On My Back for a Piggyback Ride. That was him in Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder pulled him in. So it's like a, a ton of different stories, but they had to figure out a band that was going to sound like it was coming from the early 70s. They practiced in a warehouse in Santa Monica and the four actors rehearsed for four hours a night, five nights a week for six weeks, just to look like they could play their instruments. And for me, it worked great. Like, it really looks like a real band. Oh, um, yeah. And then all the lyrics, they have, like, specific themes, like The Road. The second theme is, like, a vague father figure that disappoints them. <laughs> the Road. Like, no one's writing shit about The Road anymore. No, probably the not. Rock and roll is dead. Now every song on the radio is like, Tonight's the only night on earth. We're gonna party <laughs> like we're dying tomorrow. That's exactly right. Let's rip shots and cover <laughs> ourselves in glitter. We only have one night to live. <laughs> and then all the memes oh. are like, work on Monday. It's like, I thought we only had one night. What were we talking about? Oh, just um, other, okay, the authenticity of like the music from the 70s. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, okay, so yeah, so that makes sense. They are just like a mixture of all these bands, but then the bands are also present in the storyline, like in the narrative. So like Zeppelin is a band, you know, all these artists are real and Stillwater, fucking, I would have loved them. Okay, Me too. we got 
some really glowing reviews and some really like shockingly terrible reviews. But in terms of people who are actually credible critics, over the moon. We've got Manola Dargis from the LA Weekly who writes, The film shimmers with the irresistible pleasures that define Hollywood at its best. It's polished like glass, funny, knowing and bright, and filled with characters whose lives are invariably sexier and more purposeful than our own, which depressed me slightly, but uh, she's not wrong. Yeah, everything is great. I mean, like, Lester talks about how shitty the music is, and it's like that, uh, you know, Midnight in Paris kind of thing where it's like... The golden age is over. Yeah, like, how could I like the, the era that I'm in right now, you know, the right, 20s the is the best. Right, one before is always better. Ooh, good right. call. Except really, Thanks. it's better. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. <laughs> it, but except really, it was way better than this one. I think so. <laughs> they didn't um, have the metaverse, but yeah. That's true. Why do we need the metaverse, though? To escape our fucking reality? Because it blows. Yeah, we, I can finally go see Jimi Hendrix in concert, just like uh, he does the beginning. <laughs> right. To go or, back wait, to the 70s. Sorry. That, yeah. That's why we go. That's why we have the metaverse, <laughs> to escape to them. That was better. Um, our good friend Roger Ebert gave this film four out of four stars. He Damn. loved it. He wrote, oh, what a lovely film. Nice. I was almost hugging myself while I watched it. <laughs> Did he say that? or Yeah. This is what oh. he said. Yeah. There's some times where I'm like... A little softy. Sometimes where he's like so vicious. And then other times where I'm like, you're just a cute grampy. Yeah, you are a little grampy. Maybe he saw himself as, uh, you know, Lester or William, maybe. Well, he was actually alive during that time. So he felt a real nostalgic pull, I bet. Right. We're just posers. Uh, he continues, almost famous is funny and touching in so many different ways. It's about the world of rock, but it's not a rock film. It's a coming of age film about an idealistic kid who sees the real world, witnesses its cruelties and heartbreaks, and yet finds much room for hope. Note, why did they give an R rating to a movie perfect for teenagers? Well, they show Kate Hudson's boob. That probably is why. Speaking of Kate Hudson's boobs, our next... Where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> the Amazon reviews are quite brutal. So uh, starting with Randy, who titled his review, P.U. Come on, Rand. <laughs> Randy Bobandy. Randy writes, this could be the story of Gidget and Leave it to Beaver going on tour with the monkeys. It's a sappy storyline that is nauseatingly predictable from the beginning to end. And is just like seeing Kate Hudson's tits, which is what we wanted to see in the first place. A real letdown. What is predictable about this movie? How could you have ever predicted any part of it? It's not like wildly unpredictable, but is it's it like... Feeling, is it feeling true because it is based on a true story? Like, because it is. That's, that's stupid. Okay, so he... Randy knew that at the end, Russell would come to William's house and finally give that. Shut up. There's no Shut way. Shut up, Randy. Yeah. There's no way. Because I've seen this movie before and I forgot. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is a perfect example of me not being able to take this these criticisms. <laughs> I'm like burning up. I'm burning up. Also, don't you dare tit shame Kate Hudson, okay? Yeah, for real. You should be so lucky. You should be so fucking <laughs> lucky. I can't stand Randy. Mind you, like these reviews were, were written in like 2001. So, and this one really shows it. The review is titled As Enjoyable as a Punch in the Face. They write, The only thing more undeveloped than the kid are the characters. Well written. Whoa. <laughs> Aside from Philip Seymour Hoffman, who infuses life into every role he plays, these people were as interesting and compelling as a sack of hair. This movie is a glass of Coke, a Happy Meal, an ice cream sundae. It's designed to go down easy. 
I can only imagine that the majority of reviewers for this film are slightly overweight women who wear Disney pajamas, drink hot cocoa at night, listen to Brian Adams and Destiny's Child with alarming regularity, and tape the repeats of Party of Five whilst they watch Friends. I love this review for all of the references that made like this seems like it was purposely written trying to sound like somebody wrote it in 2001. (laughs) It was like a time traveler from 2050 and they were like, oh, shit, I have to be 2001. Okay, so party of five friends. Taping shit. (laughs) Ryan Adams. Uh, This review is a revolting time capsule is what it is. Yes, it is. And it should have been kept buried. But thank you. Yeah, thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you for the memories. (laughs) Yeah. Let's hop into the motherfucking plot. Absolutely. Right off the bat, I've got a fun fact. The handwriting on the notepad in the opening Mm -hmm. credits is Cameron Crowe's. Of course it is. There's a bunch of shit like that. I knew you were going to I knew you were going to know who was writing it. (laughs) And I was wondering the whole time. I love that handwriting. We open on a retro vibey montage of now that we know Cameron Crowe. Scribbling with a pencil, the opening credits on a yellow legal pad, mixed with the classic rock concert paraphernalia of clearly somebody who's been to a lot of rock concerts in their time. I bet, too, like, I bet all that shit was his. The records that William goes through that are given to him by Zoe Deschanel are Cameron Crowe's old records. I love it. Yeah. Slightly indulgent and self-centered, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. But a story so worth telling. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm glad we have those self-indulgent, self-centered types. You know, we wouldn't have (laughs) My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy if not. So, What's your Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy? (laughs) It's the Kanye album. I thought you meant you really had one. And I was like, this is news to me. Oh, I was so confused for a second. <laughs> what was going on? Anyway, <laughs> we zoom in on a key to the plaza and zoom out to the sunny streets of San Diego at Christmas time, scored by the Chipmunks Christmas album. So good. They added it because Zoe Deschanel loves the song so much, apparently. Really? Yeah. We see a a mom and her young son discussing Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird. They are clearly very close. We see sister Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) Again, not a nun, just plain old Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) She comes home and immediately gets grilled. She's clearly been out kissing Daryl. She's hiding a Hollow Notes record under her coat. And we come to find out that mom is a bit intense. She is a college professor and it's the kind of thing where like she makes them celebrate Christmas in September when it's less commercialized. She's just like over she's overprotective and also I think just like over societal norms in general. Yes. She she has this thing like I I can teach my students why aren't I allowed to teach my kids. Like she mm-hmm. has a very specific way the world works and she doesn't understand why she can't impose that on her children and doesn't seem to understand that it can affect them. So much to the point where she's completely lied to her son about how old he is. Yes. Wait, before we move on, hold on. Yeah. I don't want to be like a nerdy fact checker, but I think it's Simon and Garfunkel. What did I say? Uh, The Hall Notes. I wrote Simon and Garfunkel. Let me know if that's annoying. No, please. Why did I write Hall and Oates? It's a a duo of nice boys. (laughs) All right. I'm going to say that again. She's hiding a Hall and Oates record under her coat. You did it again. (laughs) What the fuck? This is your Steve Martin. This is exactly the same. Because I'm <laughs> You said it with it? such conviction. <laughs> no, it's got to stay in. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. She, she's hiding a Simon and Garfunkel 
album under her coat for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom's not into it because, you know, they're on drugs, obviously. Yeah, on pot. They're all on pot. <laughs> My little brother told me recently that you can't say pot anymore. It's not cool. That's like not what you say. I think you can say it with a certain amount of conviction. I'm not confirming you with you because you're as old as me. So <laughs> I'm telling you, the kids say it's no longer cool to say pot. In I case care you what these I don't care either. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, it's picture day and young William is just noticing that like his peers are all combing their gross preteen yeah. mustaches and he's got nothing. Turns out this poor kid's been waiting patiently for his balls to drop and mm -hmm. finds out that he is in fact 11 years old. He's going to have to shine it on a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> he's, he's been robbed of his adolescence. Right, which I think, like, what does the mom say? She's like... Adolescence is just a marketing tool, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, according to mom, which is yeah. brutal. It's funny because he's, like, so team mom, but the, for that one moment, he's just, like, sitting in the back of the car, and he just... Eleven! Eleven! <laughs> <laughs> I taught elementary school. Eleven! <laughs> so good. Zoe decides she's so over it. She is leaving home to become a flight attendant. And she's like, listen to this song. It explains why I'm leaving and plays Look for America by Simon and Garfunkel. Do you want me to do this again? It's just called America. I don't know how, how annoying. I Googled it. I thought I, I Googled it to be sure. God damn it. It's the worst. I feel it's like okay. such a fucking nag. So we've already heard like a bunch of really great songs in this. And I just want to say it's been said a billion times. Maybe this and Forrest Gump are the two best film soundtracks ever. We said that about Romeo and Michelle. <laughs> yeah, but I think I was getting a little swept up in myself. This is the best one. I agree. So apparently most films have a music budget of like a little less than $1.5 million, and they spent $3.5 million. They like met with Led Zeppelin and showed them a cut of the movie just to get their approval for a couple songs. I mean, Tangerine at the end. It's so worth it. When America comes on, it's like, this is why I'm moving out and becoming an airline stewardess. And she starts playing America. And they're both like looking at one another. Oh my God, I'm getting chilled the fuck up thinking about it. It goes without saying, but Elton John, just like the moments are iconic in this film based on the music. Yeah. And I would say like, I think the Tiny Dancer, but I also think that Mona Lisa's Manhattan's when he's chasing the different taxis trying to find her, that is it's so It's also created pretty. like kind of mental sticky notes for people about those songs too. Like when people hear Tiny Dancer. 100%. I'm going to say at least 80% of them think about the moment in this film. I'd, I'd say that's exactly accurate within maybe one percentage point. Yeah. And the rest have never seen this movie. There's yes, nobody who's seen right. this movie and then doesn't associate that song with that scene. 100% agreed. I don't but think yeah. you're saying anything controversial. I think you're exactly right. <laughs> for once. <laughs> um, I also think it was a baller move on Zoe Deschanel's part to just be like, we're not going to talk about this. Just listen to this song about how I feel. And I'm like, man, I should have used that tactic more in life. You know what I mean? To just be like, this is why I'm breaking up with you. Yeah. It's like, this is why I can't go to school tomorrow. It's like, I get knocked down. Right. I get up again. You know. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't going to work. Our scars remind oh, me. Oh, nice callback. <laughs> if you want to know why I'm singing Papa Roach, go back and listen to our episode on Face Off. And you'll... You'll get it. You'll have a little chuckle. Your ability to call back exactly the episode that we did that in is pretty impressive. Well, I only know because I rewrote the song to say the line, my scars remind me of my cute dead son. And oh, Face Off right, is the, the only the only movie we've done. <laughs> <laughs> 
that has a cute dead son, I think. Yeah. So yeah, far. I think so. Yeah. So Unless far. Jungle the Jungle, something horrible happened at the end of that movie. He falls off the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think maybe uh, that spider finally got his fangs unglued and then uh, <laughs> went, went to work. Fuck. Anyway, good move, Zoe. And if anybody, I feel like we should start a movement of just like speaking to each other in song. Agreed. Like the old days. Yeah. Uh, Zoe leans down with her super overplugged eyebrows and tells her little brother that one day he'll be cool before she zooms off with her boyfriend. She leaves him her records under his bed and thus begins his love for music. Yeah, she's got to light a candle and listen to Sparks by The Who in the dark and then he'll see his future. And then it kind of spins off and shows him kind of growing up and getting into all these different bands. And then he becomes William. He's high school. He's high school. He's high school. We see him now. We flash forward. He's in high school. And he's totally obsessed with music. The year is 1973. I wrote a very good time for music. And then immediately we meet the editor of Cream Magazine, a young Philip Seymour Hoffman going, music is dead. Music is dying. It's a very bad time for music. (laughs) I was wrong. William has been sending him articles to the magazine to be published. Uh, We find he's a writer. And he's like, what, are you the star of your school? And he's like, no, they hate me. And he goes, you'll see them all again on their long journey to the middle. That's the best line ever. And he's like, you're a good writer, but rock and roll is over. You're too late. But he decides to give this kid a chance anyway. Uh, Give him some advice, take him under his wing. And the main thing he tells him right off the bat is you cannot make friends with the rock stars. If you're going to be a true journalist, you have to be honest and unmerciful. Which, of Mm -hmm. course, you're just like, all right, well, we just set the tone for the whole movie. This is going to be like a central theme, sort of balancing exactly those two things, becoming friends with the rock stars and writing the truth. Right. It's a perfect plot device because William is a huge loser, but he loves being accepted into this group, but he still wants to remain true to Lester's advice. It's just impossible. And like, is he a huge loser or is he just like, a shy kid. Oh, he's definitely like, not a loser. Yeah, absolutely not. Right. I guess, I guess, I mean, really, he's probably, he's just been bullied because, like, he is actually so much younger than everyone else, all of his peers. But, like, yeah, it's like that kid in, um, uh, Revenge of the Nerds who goes to school when he's like 15. He starts building that computer. Right. Exactly. Well, he is, no, nah, he isn't. He is a loser. Um, that, it, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you just said he built a computer. There's a, no. They're not losers. They're he's a nerd. It's in the title. Like there's a difference right. between a loser and a nerd. And I would say the opposite of a loser is somebody who's super ambitious and like goes after what they want with fervor, even if they're not the coolest about it. You You're know? preaching to the choir. I agree. Like I'm not a loser. I've been a nerd. Well, I guess um, uh, that's a that's a designation like that we should make. I don't know if he ever says like I'm a loser. He just says I'm not cool. I'm not cool. Yeah, which is yeah. like something very specific. Yeah. And he's not cool. No, not really. With the evidence immediately following that he has his mom drop him off to write his first assignment, they will not let him backstage. So he goes to the top of the ramp and meets Penny Lane. We learn that they're not groupies, they're band-aids, and they're there for the music. Penny Lane is a goddess on the scene. She's changed the game for groupies. You know, she's transformed at least their little crew into sort of more than yeah penny lane is like based on a few different people but i watched like a mini documentary about one of the people that she's based on she is insane she was with all these different rock stars and it's more of like a muse they're like trying to get them to the place that they need to be creatively more so Mm -hmm. than like being close to stardom i guess that's what sets them apart but they're they go on a whole thing about how like they don't fuck the musicians, but they all fuck the musicians pretty much throughout the whole movie. Yep. 
All of them do. William's like, I got to get in there. Luckily, he bumps into Stillwater as their tour bus pulls up. And at first, they're kind of like, fuck off. Writers are the enemy. But he kind of wows them with his interest in their band. He's like spewing off all these facts about them and, and talks about how great they are. Immediately, they're like, all right, you can come. They bring him backstage because Jeff, the lead of the band, is definitely kind of he's so into himself and also so insecure about sort of losing his spot as front man for this band. So anybody can gas him up and sort of get in his good graces, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what he needed to do to like butter this band up. And then they're like, oh, this is great. We can have this kid around to make us feel really cool and look really cool in their mind, even though it's a fool's errand because he's not. It's going to make him look stupid and incompetent. Right. Right. Uh, we've now, of course, witnessed for the first time this insane chemistry between Penny Lane and Russell. Russell being Billy Crudup, who just is fucking like I've looked at guys and just been like, wow, they're so hot. Oh, my God, they're so hot. But when I look at him, it's like devastating. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. There's like a sadness about it. And the other side of that is like, I feel that way about Kate Hudson. Like, yeah. she's just stunning. Like, she's like glowing and sparkling yes. like a like a one of those twilight kids <laughs> vampire yeah and their characters are so tragic in a way you know like they obviously they're kind of on top of the world but also there's just something really sad about the way they move through the world at the same time and you know william of course introduces them thinking that they don't know each other but they're like shaking hands and looking at each other and like her eyes even well up with tears and it's just mm. like there's an electric connection there william gets invited to hang with them in la ben fong torres from rolling stone read him at one of his pieces in cream and said you know i really like your writing i want you to write for rolling stone what do you think you should write about he's like what about stillwater he's like stillwater cool you know go tour with the band and don't let him pay for anything and so he's got an assignment he's got to write for this article for rolling stone so cool. He's still in high school, but he yeah. is pretending to be older. He's lowering his voice every time he's on the phone with Rolling Stone. And now they're going to pay him a grand to write an article on Stillwater. So begrudgingly, his mom lets him go. But for fucking good reason. Like, geez, who needs to learn about geometry when you're a lot of life experience. for Rolling Stone? Exactly. And Cameron Crowe knew that better than all. All of us, because he did it. <sighs> God, that's cool. Fuck. It is so Fuck. fucking cool. It's just like that reviewer said, that first reviewer from the LA Times. It was like, everyone in this movie just kind of makes you feel like, fuck, that's cool. And fuck, I'm not that cool. But I want to be. I could be. I could be. Yeah. I mean, this movie definitely got me. I mean, I guess I loved it before, but not as much like loving writing and music more to the things that I love most now and movies more. So it's no wonder why this is such a big, big deal in my life. It's funny because it's like it teaches you kind of like the fucked up aspects of that way of life, but you like still want to do it anyway, like still seems really cool. And it's also romantic, even like the heartbreak and Penny trying to kill herself. You're like, oh, so rock and roll, man. Yeah. Honestly, oh, God, it romanticizes a lot of fucked up shit, but let's do it, you guys. Let's bring rock and roll back. Make rock and roll fucked up again. Not like uh, Woodstock 99. No. But like Woodstock, the original. Anywho, we're on the road. All the girls end up shacking up with William. You can tell he's got some real feelings for Penny Lane. He adores this girl and he does not love the fact that she and Russell are messing around, especially because Russell... I don't want to say he's stringing her along, but he kind of is. And it's clear that Penny is completely 
in love with him. Yeah, and I guess this brings up a little bit what I was talking about before. I think it would be maybe more effective if you were much more nervous about Penny's heart being in his hand so much. Yeah. Like, I think most of the movie, you kind of trust him. I think you should you should never be able to think that he has good intentions. It would be such a more, like, electrifying performance in my mind. Like, let's say if, like, uh, I don't know, like Michael Shannon or something, somebody who oh, you, like, can't God. can't put your, like, finger on. It's like, uh, I don't know. I think he's going to fuck this up. And, like, I'm starting to really love Penny. Like, I don't want to see her hurt. I don't know if you get that until the end when he really does hurt her. And even if, like, in the, the parts where you're supposed to see how Mercurial, um, Mercurial, Mercurial, Volatile. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mercurial Russell is, you, you know, when he's like trying to get that interview and he's like, go away. I'm feeling too truthful. You know, it's not for some reason it doesn't seem like it's on brand for his character. I would just love to see what that would have been like for someone who you really don't trust and you're really like, ugh. I think that it makes him more real because people have affairs all the time. It's not nice and we, you know, vilify it. But to me, like, he seems like somebody who he's not being malicious and he's not calculated. He's complex in his emotions, but he's kind of simple intellectually. He's like just kind of been sucked into this very wild scene and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Not to say like, oh, poor baby, he's got to go cheat on his wife. But like his wife is also fucking cheating on him with the front man. Like it's like a whole culture yes. of this. And he's just kind of like going with the flow, but not taking accountability. No one is stopping to think about the consequences of their actions. They're just flying by the seat of their pants really fast. Yeah. And just like shit's happening and hearts are getting broken. You know, even Penny has the mindset, which I can certainly relate to from the past of just being like, listen, I'm a big girl. I know what I'm doing. This may not be like the best decision I've ever made, but like I'm not going into it blindly, right? Like I can handle the repercussions, even though when it all comes crashing down, it is really fucking brutal. <laughs> but I guess only William can see that that's kind of a facade that she yes, has adopted exactly. as Penny. Yeah, it's, it's not real. It, exactly. It's not real. And she, I mean, her yeah. whole identity is not real. You know, it's like people who like hook up with their exes and they're like, I'm fine. I can handle this. It's not a big deal. And then they do it. And then they're like, why did I do it? You know, it's just. Yeah. Like, we all talk a big game. Until. And then when the consequences come, we're like, oh, why did I do that to myself? Um, not that I've ever done that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that that's the whole point of this movie. It's like everyone is acting. Like, they always talk about, like, when and where does this real world happen? Like, we just pretend, yeah. like, all this stuff has no consequences. And in reality, people's feelings get hurt. And the real world is happening right now. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they feel like they can just press pause. So yeah, that's my thoughts. I don't think that Russell is malicious. I think they're all just caught up in this thing and not not looking ahead. And he like has his own sort of stuff that he's mixed up in where he's just like, I only want to experience things that are real. So like, yeah, that's like a theme through the movie where they're just like, oh, this isn't real. And it's like, then what is it? Yeah, right. <laughs> so we're backstage and the band t-shirts come in and they do not go over well. Because basically, it's Russell and everyone behind him in a blur. And of course, Jeff, the lead singer, is just like pissed. And we start to see sort of the inner workings of the issues with the band, which is sort of like tales old as time. Who is really the front man here? They're talking about like everyone is good, but Russell is great. He could do something great. Has there ever been a guitarist that has like leapfrogged a band? I mean, kind of. I mean, there's actually a lot. Never mind. But like... <laughs> I was about to like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but this just seems weird that he's so good at guitar and so 
handsome. He's he's the Pete Wentz of this band. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Because the thing is, too, it's not like he can take over the band. He's not singing. So, but at the same time, like, you know, you can tell Jeff has such an ego about things and he wants, he wants to be the face of the band Mm -hmm. and he's just not going to be, which is, I would imagine is probably hard for the singer of the band to reckon with. Russell and William go for a walk. Also, like William is just trying in vain this whole time to get his interview with Russell and just something always comes up and it's always like, on okay, so we'll get in the next city. We'll get in the next city. They go on a walk and they, the van pulls up and Right after Russell's been on this tangent, like, I just want to experience what's real. These teenagers pull up and they're like, you know, would you want to come to a house party? You know, we're just some real Topeka people. And of course, he's like, definitely, yes. So he goes, it's like, looks like a high school party. Yes, it does. I mean, there's a really good line in this scene where it's like, hey, you're Russell from Stillwater, right? And he's like, well, yeah, my better days. I am Russell from Stillwater. And apparently they got it from John Cusack, who met a girl in a bar who is like, aren't you Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything? And he was like, well, yeah, on my better days, I am. John Cusack fucks, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So we're at this high school party. Russell does some acid and just goes wild. He's standing on top of this shed, like this tool shed, yelling, I am a golden god. I am a golden god! Yeah! And everyone's cheering for him. And he's just like... And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine... And my last words were, I'm on drugs. I think we should work on those last words. Right. And then he's like, I dig music. No, I'm on drugs. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It could be better. But then I'm like, oh, they do this in Not Another Teen Movie. Yes. When she's like diving into the pool. She's like, I'm a golden goddess. He's like, Janie, I gave you one non-alcoholic beer. (laughs) (laughs) So good. He ends up like in pretty bad shape, I think, coming down from that. But the tour bus picks them up. We're on the road again. And this is where we just get that iconic scene where they're all just sort of riding along singing Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Everything is swept under the rug. They re-remember what's great about what they're doing, going on this shitty bus, listening to Tiny Dancer and singing along. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this when I was watching it. It is such a ballsy move to put this scene in like the middle of the movie. And not even ballsy, just smart. Like, I feel like if this scene is in the last part of the movie, it's so hokey. Yeah. And corny. But it's just great. It's so good. I feel like it kind of speaks to the nature of what it feels like to be on the road with a group of people like that, where, like, you ultimately, it becomes kind of a family dynamic where, I mean, you're stuck on a bus together for hours and hours and hours, and people are going to piss each other off. And at a certain point, like, you just have to get unmad. Yeah. Somehow. Then you just end up doing that. over something like a song coming on yeah it's just a perfect song too mm-hmm. it's so great oh, it's so dreamy and william's sitting with penny lane he's like i have to go home and she like waves her hands in front of his face and is like you are home do you think that that's where john travolta got his little move for face off <laughs> no well no she doesn't like run her fingers down the length of his face like it, a fucking it's psychopath <laughs> It's close. Oh, God. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so fucked. So um, we're, you know, bouncing around city to city. The girls decide that they are going to take his virginity. Yeah, deflower him. Deflower him. And he just gets attacked by all three of them at once. Not Penny Lane, but the three other Band-Aids. They just rip his clothes off in a flurry of scarves. 
But he's clearly so in love with Penny Lane, like could give a shit that he's about to have a threesome with three hot girls for his first time. Yeah, he's just looking right at her in slow motion and she's like puts her fingers over her eyes and then, you know, puts a little yeah, thing. Yeah, that's how you know he's not cool. That's that's right. That, that's <laughs> exactly three why. Three hot girls want to have take your virginity and you're like, but, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, then they really, they really do. They really have sex with them, all three of them. Yeah, they do. They really freaking do. I mean, we don't get into a lot of the We don't see a lot of the detail, but I wonder if that happened to Cameron. I don't know. I feel like he, he wouldn't be able to help himself to be like, oh, yeah, that totally happened. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Everyone says like, we get it. This is a right. real moment for you. It's your handwriting. You slept with those three girls. We get it. We get it. Uh yeah. So, you know, wakes up the next day and his editor the editor at Rolling Stone is kind of pissed that he just seems to be out there partying. They don't have any sort of substantial interview from Russell. We get to Cleveland, the party's still raging on, and mom gets on the phone with Russell and really shakes him up. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love this moment. This woman is so interesting. This character This woman reminded me reminds me so much of my mom. Like every time I watch <sighs> it. Exactly. That's so sweet. Yeah. Not not my mom at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, definitely the don't do drugs, for sure. That's definitely my mom, yeah. There's this great line from her conversation with Russell. She's like, this is not some apron-wearing mother you're speaking with. I know all about your Valhalla of decadence, and I shouldn't have let him go. <laughs> Valhalla of decadence. He's not ready for your world of compromised values and diminished brain cells that you throw away like confetti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, He's like... Wow. He's shaking. And then at the end, she's like, it's not too late to become a person of substance, Russell. Yeah. And you can tell, like, he's so thrown by it. Like, Your mom kind of freaked me yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, they play a great show. And then there's a big manager in the crowd who wants to talk to them or manage their manager. And what do you know? It's Jimmy Fallon. It's fucking Jimmy Fallon. Honestly, he's good. I mean, like, he kind of does what he's supposed to do in this film. And also... He makes a really compelling argument. He really does. He doesn't come in like kind of being like schmoozy and sleazy. Like I get that we kind of get the echo of like this is why rock and roll is dying because it's now it's like the music is getting kind of sucked into the world of commercialism where he's coming and being like, well, do you want to make money or not? And this is how you're going to do it. I didn't invent the rainy day. I'm just selling the best umbrella. Yeah, fucking <laughs> it's great like, line. What what can we do about it? Yeah. One of the best lines is like, if you think Mick Jagger's going to be up there at age 50 still dancing around on the stage, you are sadly <laughs> mistaken. <laughs> LOL. They take him on. They ditch their beloved tour bus Doris and get on the private jet. Russell and a bunch of the of other rock stars, they're playing poker. They deal a hand. The stakes are basically trading... Penny Lane and the girls away to another band for 50 bucks and some beer. This poker scene doesn't make any fucking sense. They make no. up the game. It's literally just a trade. Yeah. It's like, okay, so I I put in Penny Lane and the girls. You put in a case of Heineken and $50. And then no matter who wins, it's like, oh, okay, so you get the girls and I get the case of Heineken and $50. It's just a trade. The game doesn't, doesn't make any make sense. sense. Yeah. But regardless, I remember being like, wow, that's fucked up. Yeah. First of all, uh, Mitch Hedberg is in this game. Peter Frampton plays a road crew member from Humble Pie. Um, and in real life, he was in Humble Pie. <laughs> it, there's just like a lot of little Easter eggs. Little hidden things for the music lovers out there. Yeah. Needless to say, this really rubs William the wrong way. And Russell can feel it. He's definitely kind of like doing the shitty thing, but trying to like let himself off the hook where he's just like, hey, well, you know, William, like it's not a big deal. Like Penny knows, you know, 
She knows she can't come to New York because my wife is going right. to be there. Like, it's not a big deal. We're all good. It's totally fine. It's just like the way it is. Right. Of course, Penny is planning on coming to New York. And this is where William really has to have like a come to Jesus with her. Wake Do up. Do not come to New York. Yeah. Yeah, wake the fuck up. And she's just not wanting to hear it. And she's like, maybe it is love. Like, you don't hear the things he says to me when we're alone. And he tells her, you got sold a humble pie for 50 bucks and a case of beer. And this isn't what probably one of the best acting moments in the whole movie. I love it. Roger Ebert called it out too, where like this moment where like she's clearly crushed and like has tears streaming behind a smile and she cracks a joke and is like, what kind of beer? What kind of beer? Yeah. There's a couple scenes with Penny that border on saccharin like Mm -hmm. when she's in the empty auditorium and she's like dancing with that flower yeah it's so close to being over the top and cheesy but it's still every time i see it it's so great with a different actress it could have been really cringe yeah if tony collette was doing it i don't know i don't (laughs) know or kirsten dunst or maybe kirsten dunst yeah but anyway i love that scene she has such a like complicated face emotion acting thing going on and there's so much that she's kind of like beaming at him there's so much going on it's just it's so beautifully complicated like all of this but yeah he just is like this is the real world and it's just hard for her to swallow uh she's clearly running some from some things so we get to new york william finds out that his article is going to be on the cover of rolling stone they're all out to eat he tells the band and they're like so stoked also russell's wife girlfriend whatever is in town so she's with them and penny lane shows up and is kind of staring at russell her eyes are kind of welling up and russell's girlfriend is like who is that girl she's not with any of you guys is she and every dude at the table is like she's with me yeah which is just like a dead giveaway the manager has to go talk to her and like basically kick her out it almost seems like russell's a moment away from kind of like like he stands up yeah like he's gonna do something but he does not so william goes to find her he's checking all the cabs he finally finds her back in her hotel room all the girls are gone she has taken way too many quaaludes and needs some medical attention so this is kind of a cool moment where we're sort of going back and forth between William's mom sitting at his graduation that he would have I love that. been walking at on that day and where he is, which is taking care of this girl in this hotel room. Just such an adult thing. Yeah. She's like in and out of consciousness and just knowing like what other kids his age are doing today. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, actually, he's even younger because he's not even as old as his. Right. That's true. It's so heartbreaking, though, when she's like clapping for his name and no one is cheering and it's like she showed up to hear his name being called it's so sad and it's really sad watching penny lane like be so devastated that she's nearly killed herself on quaalude so the one thing though that i didn't love was that so he's i get like he's trying to help her he's trying to save her life He's trying to keep her awake, but he's still like, he's like, oh, what the hell? You know, you won't remember this anyway. He professes his love for her, which is fine. But then he kisses her. Yeah. And that's not fine. No. He's like, I'm about to go where many men have gone before. It's like, ugh. Yeah. Not a cute moment. That's the one ick for me in this whole film. Yeah. It's really strange. It is really, really uncomfortable. Um, and then as he's kissing her, the doctors barge in. That's like a really visceral visual for me when they're shoving that rubber tube down her throat to make her pump her her stomach stomach. this was a weird one for me she's in the bathroom getting her stomach pumped and just miserable 
he's watching and they're playing this really romantic music under it like a really lovey-dovey song and he kind of has like almost a dreamy smile on like he's just like looking at her and he's so in love with her yeah while he's watching her get her stomach pumped it's a strange moment for sure it is it is one of those things where it's like not every emotional turn is meaningful like it's not meaningful that he should be horrified and he isn't it might just be that you're trying to do something strange with the emotions of this character (laughs) yeah i don't really understand why he's doing that or maybe i'm just not smart enough i don't know oh you're smart dan you're very smart you're the brains of this podcast i don't think so (laughs) just (laughs) well i'm not so who the fuck is (laughs) i don't know whoever our guest is (laughs) anyway next day they're walking around central park she tells him her backstory and her real name which is lady which sounds like a horse name. I can't get behind it that. It does. Yeah. Uh, he puts her on a flight home. Then he's back on the private jet with the band. Oof, this scene. Yo, I love it's so I good. love this scene and I hate it. I hate it because I'm afraid of flying. I love it because it's really fucking good. Yeah. They hit an electrical storm and the turbulence is really bad. Even the pilots are basically like, we're going to die. So of course, the truth just starts pouring out of everyone. First, it's the I love you's. Then it's kind of spirals into the I hate you's. Then it's like Jeff slept with Russell's wife and he's still in love with her. Then it comes out that Russell's been sleeping with Penny and William really tears into them. He's just like, you used Penny and you threw her away and you say you're all about the fans and she was your biggest fan. And I love her. And I love her. And I love her. And then the last member of the band is like, I'm gay. I'm gay. And then the plane levels out. So that was actually a real instance in Cameron Crowe's life. He was on a plane with Alice Cooper and one of the passengers was like, we're all going to die. I need to confess something. I've been sleeping with your wife. And then the pilot told everyone that they're going to be okay. And then it just was super awkward the rest of the time. Oh my God. Dan, if you were on a plane that you thought was going down, what would be your confession? Oof. I don't know. Um, I dig music. <laughs> and I'm on drugs. I'm definitely, if I'm on a plane, there's no way I'm not on drugs. So. <laughs> all, all those things would be true. Great. Love those. <laughs> yeah what about you soup's original Ooh, my confession i've never had taco bell even though i've told a lot of people that i like it just like they do whoa i feel like this podcast is leveling out and someone's coming over that's like thank god we're gonna be alive because i don't know what to do right now with this information <laughs> like... one other thing that comes out on the tri- on the plane is that jimmy fallon just out and out admits to a hit and run Yeah, it's an eventful plane trip. Finally, they land, they go their separate ways, and Russell just says to him, write what you want. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he didn't mean it because William gets the Rolling Stone office. They see he's a teenager. They're just like, what the fuck? But they give him one night to like write the real thing. He writes a brilliant article. Also, while he's been on tour, he's been in contact with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, you know, who's just been giving him some advice and is the surrogate father figure. They're just two uncool guys getting sucked in by the bands. But it just reminds him to, like, write everything, be unmerciful, tell the truth. So he writes everything. It's a fire article. They love it. The band denies it. Yeah, they have that moment where they just get off the phone with uh, the fact checker from Rolling Stone. And it's like, you wrote everything. It's like, 
the chicks are great. I sound like a douche or whatever he says. <laughs> Which is literally like exactly what he said. Yeah. Which I also don't know. Like you had everything in a tape recorder. Yeah, right. That's true. I mean, the part where it's like, Russell, he has you on top of a garage screaming, I'm the golden god. He's like, I never said that. Or did I? Well, I guess he couldn't have everything. But that part about the chicks are great is real. Like, yeah. He's oh, got that all... evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So Russell denies it. They completely discredit him. It's so brutal. Like this kid has, mm-hmm. has, was so close to kind of having it all and it just gets shut almost, down. Almost famous. So almost. Hey, almost famous. He runs into his sister at the airport as she is a flight attendant. And they both go home to see their mama. And she's so glad to see them. Backstage, one of the Band-Aids tells Russell about the night that Penny Lane almost died, that William saved her. And they're like, we all know what you did to William. She's got this really like beautiful little tiny soliloquy a little bit about loving a piece of music so much it hurts and you know what they're all doing there. And I think she really gets to Russell because it's like, we're this is a tight-knit community. Like everyone mm-hmm. knows the truth. Yeah, it's right. Up. Russell calls Penny and is like, I need to see you. Give me your address. Like, I'll come to you. Kind of professes his love for her, wants to make it right. She's like, do you have a pen? So he goes to the address that she gives him, and it turns out that it's William's address. It's so funny. He's like, I'm here to see your daughter. And then Zoe Deschanel's just in the background. She does like a little little pose. (laughs) I laughed out loud. He finds out, you know, he got got. He sees pictures of William as a kid in the living room. And he knows he owes William an apology in an interview. So he goes into his room. How surreal that must be to see like a rock legend just walk into your bedroom. But he tells him that he called Rolling Stone and confirmed William's story. Luckily, because like, if not, then he gets to his house and then he's like, I promise I'll do it. I haven't done it yet. But now that I'm here, I feel kind of bad. Like, Good thing he he called before yeah, <laughs> that trip. Yes. The one thing that was a little weird was he's like, Russell's telling William, you should call Penny. Like, you live in the same town. When he was just trying to, like, salvage and make it right with her, like, I wanted to see that too. Me too. But it's the subtext is like, we live in the same town, but we don't live on the same planet. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so we also see Penny goes to the airport and buys herself one ticket to Morocco, which she's been talking about going to for the whole film. So you kind of, you like seeing her kind of step out and live for herself. And, you know, she's no longer following a man around. She's like going to live her own adventure. And then when Russell and William are talking, there's like some connection that's made between those two characters that I didn't really understand that parallel when I first watched it, where it's like, we both wanted to be with her, but she just wanted us to be together. And I think that that was a great line. Yeah. And it's weird to think of how similar those two characters who are totally opposite, they're on like the same kind of path, Mm -hmm. I guess, linked to this. They're like on the opposite sides of the spectrum moving towards the middle. Right, right. But, you know, he sits down with them. He finally gets his interview and he just says like, what do you love about music? And he says... To begin with, (laughs) everything. This is my last fun fact. To begin with is the title of Stillwater's first album. (gasps) (laughs) This fictional band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're not real. A nod, a nod to, (laughs) to no one. What a fun nod. Cheeky wink. Yeah, that's what more audience. of it is. A cheeky wink. All right, man. Ratings and summation. This is a first. I have to give this movie 10 out of 10 red solo cups full of acid. It's my first 10 I'm, I'm handing out. I think it's worth it. I've guarded it closely. I feel good about letting it go now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this movie. Again, what I 
said in the beginning, I have no ability to look at this movie critically. When I'm watching it, a scene shows up, I have no ability to be like, does this narratively flow with anything else? I'm just like flooded with all the memories and all the feelings I've ever had about that scene. And the whole movie is like that. Simultaneously, I don't think it tries to do too much and it tries to do everything. I just think it's a perfect story that brings up a lot of complicated, beautiful feelings and thoughts about insecurity feeling alone and when you're growing up you know you kind of create this persona for yourself while real life is kind of happening all around you and i just think all the characters are perfectly cast everyone took it very very seriously it seems including the crew and clearly the director and the writer it's very clear that everyone really loved this and they wanted to make it really great and i i love this movie too you can tell that everyone involved took care with this movie. Mm-hmm. Knowing that it's based on real life experience makes it so much cooler and even more nostalgic in, in just the way things were. It's funny, like a big theme that runs through this movie is like, this isn't real. And he's like, right, I'm just looking for something that's real. When now in comparison, like from then to now, like that seems so much more real than the way we experience right. life now. And I think probably there's a little part of all of us that wants that. I thought the performances were great and heartbreaking and perfect. The music was so good. I too am going to give this movie 10 out of 10 backstage buffets. Nice. Do we have a like a pew, 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 pew sound effect on that soundboard? Because yes. first double 10? First This is a, double a huge moment. 10. Let's see. First double 10 of Millennial Movie Club. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Sit down. Sit down, please. Come on. Come on. That's enough. Come on. Seriously. We didn't didn't make the movie. Come on. We're just rating (laughs) it. Come on, guys. Come on. This is crazy. You guys, stop. Stop. Embarrassing. Could you stop? This is getting to be a little bit much. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable now. Oof. Just, I gotta... Right, that, but we really do appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you. Sit down. You can take your seats. Thank you. Please quiet down. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, that's the first time we've ever played with a soundboard and... Love it. So fun. Now I've... Yeah. Now, yikes. Look out. <laughs> There was like 20 seconds. <laughs> Is there a way to make that shorter? Yeah, I could have paused it, but I just wanted to see what you would do if I let it go. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, man. I'm addicted to that. Welcome immediately. to a Millennial Movie Club 2.0 with soundboard. Yes. Of course, we leave this to the end of the episode just to not disrespect <laughs> the epic level of this movie. But don't you worry. We'll be getting crazy on it next week. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right, everybody. <sighs> Man. All right. Thank Thanks, you for everybody. listening. Go stream Plant Daddy, my single, wherever you like to listen to music. Go reach out to Dan. Just say what up. You yeah. know, it's a, an accomplishment for him just making it, you know. I'm trying my best every day, and I would love some kudos just in general. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.